0: Why are the Pacers playing so wobbly right now, and can they fix it? That is the question that Eddie Garrison and I will attempt to tackle today, talking defense, offense, the bench, everything on today's Locked On Pacers podcast.
1: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Lacton Pacers Podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today... The Pacers don't play no games on back-to-back days, so we can zoom out a little bit and look at the the way this team is playing and what it means going forward. Currently 9-7, and but very wobbly their last eight games. Up and down, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Why is that the case? Why can't this team find some consistency? What is preventing them from being a little bit better? And can they actually do those things that they need to do to get there? Well, Eddie Garrison from the Pacers radio network, and 107.5, the fan, is going to join us to tackle that. We talk some defense. We talk some offense and some turnovers. We talk about the new-look bench group not playing so well and tons more, including stuff that is going well because the Pacers are still, in fact, over 500, and not a terrible team, despite some crummy play recently. We get into all that and more with Eddie Garrison today. Let's just hop right in. He's back. You've heard him here many times. He's producing those radio broadcasts you hear all the time. It's Eddie Garrison from the Pacers Radio Network and 107.5, the fan. And we got to talk about a team that cannot win two in a row or lose two in a row right now. The Indiana Pacers, who just wobbly lost the blazers to go two and three and an important five game stretch eddie i was on a show you usually produce today with jake query and jimmy cook and jake query asked me the perfect question that i will now spin back to you right now pacers nine and seven they have some good wins they have some stinky losses are you glass half full with this team or glass half empty going
1: forward i will say glass half empty because when you listen to rick carlisle talk before the start of the season uh, whether that was on with uh, Corey or not Corey, but uh, the wake up call with Kevin and Andy Sweeney um, on the fan or media availability leading up to the season and throughout the course of the regular season thus far is that he talked about how important the start of the season was because of how much lighter their schedule was in terms of uh, competition to start the year compared to the second half where it gets extremely tough. So to me, if we're if the Pacers are hanging around that 500 mark now, what's it look like post-All-Star break when they're facing like Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and all these other top teams in the East and Western Conference? Um, what's it going to look like then? And if they're 500 now, I can only imagine how they're going to look later in the season. You can also make the argument that they're still – somewhat adjusting to this new defensive scheme and strategy they roll out every single night. And hopefully by that time, then they've got this all figured out and they're clicking on that side of the court for lack of a better phrasing.
0: Yeah. So when I did my preseason predictions for the record, I had, I had them at nine wins right now and I had them finishing with 40. So they're at what I thought they would be. It's the way they've done it is the reason that that question of half floor half empty even exists because I predicted a win over Charlotte and Chicago and Portland, (laughs) and they lost all three of those. But then they win in Philly. They beat Giannis for the second time in a half decade, basically, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. hard to get a feel for who they really are, especially because, as Jacinto Pirac wrote or asked a lot about last night, it's win-loss, 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 win-loss. Like this whole month, outside of beating Utah-San Antonio back-to-back, they cannot string together wins or losses, to their credit, a little bit. So when Jake asked me the question, I also tipped towards half empty, just because of a tonal change we got last night in the presser. Right? You can lose a couple close games at home during the season. Like it's the NBA. Shooting mm-hmm. comes and goes. Last year, I cited this on this show yesterday, and on and with Jake and Jimmy, they won in, in L.A. A game they had no business winning. Right? They won in Golden State when Nemhard went completely bananas. Right? Mm-hmm. Those kind like it happens. It the upsets on the road happen. So one or two times. Yeah. Okay. Four times in your first 16 games, in games you feel like you should win. So if you lo- if it was just let's just pick two, right? Just Charlotte Portland, right? One they would have 11 wins, but two they kind of go, okay, eh, we gave away a few, but we feel good about the wins we've stacked up. When it's four, that's when frustration really kicks in, and it doesn't become about the fact that it happened. It's like, what are we doing wrong? Why can't we win these games that we should be winning? And you think I think you could sense a little tonal shift from. Some of the players last night that like, hey, this is kind of concerning that we're not getting up for all these games and winning games that we should win. And some of that is just twice, I think you could say Orlando for sure. Mm -hmm. Orlando's good. And then last night where it was just like they looked soulless. They didn't look like themselves in a way that was, I think, significant, whereas like the Chicago game, they just played bad. That one I've kind of just been like, and eh, whatever. Like, that happens sometimes. But the, those two soulless performances, it's like, why? how did that possibly happen to these guys? So their wins are really good. Like, I think this team can be good. They could go into Miami and win one of these and then steer the ship back and everyone goes, what were we even talking about? Why are we thinking about this team like this? But I think they might have just had a wake-up call, which maybe that's a good thing for them. But the fact that this has happened four times now in 16 games mm-hmm. is, is really interesting to me in a way that's making me think just like, what, like you just said, what can this team be if they – struggled at times in this early stretch.
1: Yeah. Like in another part of it too, outside of that Chicago game, it's been the same problem. The other three, it's not being able to get stops and the other team is obviously getting stops and it comes down to just being able to execute down in crunch time. And I texted you this last night, I was just not pleased with the way that the last couple minutes were handled. You had Tyrese who had 20 in the first half. He's what scored 12 in the second half. And I think majority of that was in the fourth quarter because he only got three points in the third, and that was the very first possession of the third quarter, start the second half in the Pacers. Um, but I just felt like the offense needed to go through him, and it, it felt like times he was deflecting or pushing away to try to get Andrew Dimhart involved or uh, to, to try to get Matherin involved when he was on the floor. And then I think it was Bruce Brown and Eastman had a couple of shots in there too. But it's like you're paying Tyrese starting next year that big contract to be your franchise player. Your franchise player has to make plays down at the end of the game. He's done that so far, and he's been terrific throughout the course of the season. I thought last night was like the first time where I felt like he tried to defer instead of take over.
0: He had nine assists, and I'm like, what was he
1: thinking?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> game. Yeah, it, so the McConnell stretch late in the third, I was a little more okay with it because he was just out there as like a threat, and they needed McConnell's energy so bad, so mm-hmm. bad, and that got them back in the lead. I actually thought they might go back to it in the fourth. And I don't want to spend too much time just on the Portland game because they lost to Toronto in a similar fashion. And Orlando, they got their butts kicked. But, yeah, that was weird. And I've made the case a few times that I know he will never he will never think this way, and it's a good thing because the way Tyrese Halberton is wired is important to him being good. But there's just like five games a season where it's just like, just be selfish. <laughs> just shoot. And I get why he doesn't, and that's part of what makes him so great. But – it also last night, and at times, got in their way, uh, and it most of their losses that have been these one-point losses. In fact, the Toronto one sure assuredly, and the Charlotte one with the, before Bridges was back, their defense was woeful. But the Chicago one, and last night, two nights ago for you guys listening, their offense stalling is weird, right? They've only been under 124 times, which is first of all just insane to say out loud that 12 of their 16 games have scored 120 points. Had they hit 120 against Chicago or Portland they win both of them right 112 was Chicago's number 114 was Portland's and both of those games they shot it poorly turnovers were killer against the Blazers so that's kind of where I feel like the soulless part I said comes in is just when they some of it is based on their defense right they try to run and when they're pulling the ball out of the net a lot because they can't string together stops they can't run but Mm -hmm. they never had you know you were there like they had a couple chances to go up 567 against Portland they had open threes. They just missed them. They never got the momentum, sucked the crowd back into the game. Shot. They turned it over at untimely moments. Like it's rare that their offense teeters like that, and that makes you go, "Huh." You know, they need that every night if they're going to defend at the level they they do, right? Bottom five defense. So one answer is just defend better. Duh, right? We can talk about that for the whole rest of the show. But they can't have nights like that offensively, and it's going to happen. You're going to miss shots. I'm not going to kill them for missing shots, but the 20 turnovers has to be better too. So. Their close losses have not really had a theme to me, which is another tough part of this. Is because it's not like oh, just correct this and you're good. It's tough. They've got to be. They've got to be better in these. Especially if they're all at home. They've got to be better in those games.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at it while you were talking there, and um, three of the four last losses I that were kind of close. They've shot seventy five percent exactly at the free throw line. Like it feels like to me in some of these close losses too, they haven't been good at the free throw line, which isn't typical when you consider how efficient they are scoring the basketball on the half court or when they're moving up and down the floor and shooting all the time like buddy missed some free throws that just start the year and um and it just feels like that's sometimes where it comes down to in the in box score that we don't look at i think a lot or enough is the free throw line
0: agreed um so for the numbers the bulls game where they scored 105 12 for 46 from deep 17 turnovers the charlotte game they shot very well from three but had and, and had 14 turnovers they just didn't defend well in that one toronto game they shot very well from three uh and only had six turnovers but they didn't defend in that one and then last that was the offensive one eight for 33 from deep with 20 turnovers and for reference they are one and four in their five highest turnover games this season so take care of the ball and, of course, they get a lot of open threes actually making them. Like, as a consequence of being a high-volume shooting team, they're going to have some games like this. It's just mm-hmm. been really unfortunate for them and against two crummy opponents they should have beat. They've happened. We know they can play better, but they haven't. Hey, guys, short little break. So I could talk to you about the lovely people over at eBay Motors, our partner who has teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft, scouting the waiver wire every week, we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the week. And How about a guy who a lot of people know locally and who had a nice game against the Pacers this week, Jaden Ivey? His level of play has improved for the Pistons since joining their starting lineup, and that team is going nowhere. Surely, they'll continue to invest in the young player like Ivy. Purdue, standout, played very well against the Pacers this week. Other names... On Josh's list, Scoot Henderson, who just had a nice game against the Pacers, Sadiq Bey, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford. Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship while eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, and that is the same with your vehicle. Think about your dream ride as a kid or a memory you have with a car you loved. I'll never forget my first car going to the scrapyard to fix the hood after I had to. uh, And got to keep it running you got to upgrade when you want to. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly at eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it is guaranteed to fit your ride the first time or your money back. Plus, at those prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive. At ebaymotors.com, eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. There's another thing that I think has been really interesting in their recent games, in this recent five-game stretch, because I actually think the individuals involved have done pretty well. In Atlanta, they changed it up. The starters switched Obi to the bench, Neesmith to the bench. In came Buddy. What did I just say? I said the same players. Um, Obi to the bench, Neesmith to the starters, Mathern to the bench, Heald to the starters. And Heald's been awesome as a scorer, mm-hmm. at least, since doing that. Neesmith got hurt. Sounds a little tougher. Obi has made... Like, it feels like every shot he's taken since then. And Mathern had a good game in Atlanta and defended really well against Detroit, but has been teetering. So it helped more players than it didn't. But I feel like their bench, which was so crucial for them early in the season, their bench was defending really well. Felt like they were making a lot of shots. That was helping them win the non-Tarish Halliburton minutes. It feels like their bench has been less impactful in these recent games. And I'm mostly thinking about the lineups where it is heavier, like three or four of them. Uh, And that has been something that's really kind of it feels weird to call this a slump, right? It's not like they're like lost three in a row or lost five of six or something, but in this stretch where it feels like they're not playing as well as they can, I think their bench not playing as well has been really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is uh, it starts defensively. Like if these guys are trying to put so much effort on the defensive end that it's kind of like, you know, block, uh, messing up their mind offensively. Because I think the switches of moving Neesmith and buddy into the starting lineup hurt the offense in terms of the bench because obi's not a creator obi needs somebody to create for him so that's why he plays better in my opinion with tyrese in comparison to andrew nimhard whereas you can pair nimhard and matherin together i think those two can complement each other well because matherin can bring the ball up the floor he can handle the basketball he's been a little bit better at that this year uh, he gets to the rim, and he doesn't need someone to facilitate the offense to him, whereas you need that with Obi. Yep. And if and if Nimhard's not really doing that or McConnell's not really doing that, um, then it's going to be hard for Obi to get involved with that second unit, which brings down the offense because I don't think you're expecting a lot offensively from Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson, whomever is getting the minutes that night because of possibly Turner being out or in foul trouble. So then you rely so heavily on Nimhard and Matherin to be your two leading scorers off the bench. And if you're relying more on Nimhard to be an offensive player, I don't know how well that's going to look because I think he's such a great floor general and a game manager rather than just being a score-first point guard.
0: Yeah, the the thing that struck – man, talking is really hard on the podcast where I, the only thing I have to do is talk. The thing right. that stood out to me in Atlanta, the first game they switched it up was – they adjusted to this. I well, The first time, I, the first thing I thought about when I saw the group of the benchers going to be Smith, Toppin, Mather, and Emhart is that's not a lot of shooting, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they can create just enough with that group, but they're not going to shoot very well. And in the first half, they had McConnell with that group at times. They had Bruce Brown with that group at times. And I think there's merit to Bruce Brown being the fifth guy with that group, which I'll talk about in a second. But in the second half, it was Buddy at times. They needed mm-hmm. the shooting, and they got it, and that helped their group stabilize. Now, also, like I said, that's like just enough creation, I would say, on most nights. Maybe not. And so Bruce Brown is usually the fifth guy you need in that Atlanta game. Uh, maybe I'll throw that out forever. Maybe I will just never reference the numbers of that game as like a real basketball game that happened. Yeah. What, what was
1: that? Um that was a 2K game. What are you talking But about?
0: I'm with you that – the, the, sometimes even before they change the starters, they would close the first and third quarter with Tyrese and four bench guys or something. So they uh, acknowledging you need another creator with that group is maybe something they could do. And then you dig into the numbers. They used to be no matter how many non starters on the floor, the Pacers had one of the best net ratings in the league, right? So with four starters, or excuse me, yeah, with four starters on the floor. They just have the sixth best net rating right now with three starters on the floor. The They have the third best net rating, but this is where it's nosedived is the groups I just said where it's heavy bench with two starters on the floor, worst net rating in the league minus 21.4. That's 13.6% of their minutes with just one starter on the floor, 18th in the league. So those minutes where there's a lot of bench guys were good early in the season have really fallen off. And I think that's kind of been a part of their teeteringness too, is their bench is no longer this big weapon. It was early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd agree with you, especially a lot of numbers. Sorry. Making you digest a lot on the fly.
1: Yeah. It was, it's okay. I can handle numbers I think, but (laughs) I think the shooting aspect of it is what you is what hits home the most because Aaron E is an underrated shooter. Um, and buddy healed obviously is buddy healed and you trade that out for Obi, Who's
0: I think hovering around
1: around. just over 30% when it comes to three point shots. Um, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. You probably do. Um, but like he's probably just over 30% and just under 35%. So he's making about one every three. And if that's probably the case, and it's not really that much in terms of production and efficiency. And we all know how Mathurin is. He's a streaky three point shooter. There's times where he looks confident when he rises up and he knocks one down. There's other times where it's like, I'm just going to take this, take this. And it doesn't go in. Um, so I think that's the biggest aspect in terms of the bench right now. Uh, and I thought that stood out to me when you're talking there uh, regarding the shooting.
0: Yeah. Smith at 44.6% healed at 41.7 and healed number includes a five game stretcher. I think he missed like every three. Not really, but it felt like he missed every three took. Right. So that's yeah. crazy that he's got it that high. Although he's been on fire since rejoining, you were almost exactly right on top and 30.6%. And he's made 0. 0.9 out of 3.1 per game. Basically exactly what you outlined. Right. So th- I think that's been an interesting part of this is just that the change, the dynamics of their second unit. And like, they had a like Nemhard started last year, right? So there's not a ton of Nemhard Matherin together to go Mm -hmm. off of and Smith's this new player. And Rick Carlisle keeps saying this. And I think this is important. Everything's different about this team from last year. It's a lot of the same players, but they're playing in a different way. Different guys have developed Bruce Brown and are in the rotation now. So it's like, it's hard to use last year as a launching point anymore. He views this team as like a whole new team, even though there's a lot of similar players. So even if they do have experience together, it's different. So I think getting their bench, Back on track will be if they can will be important or figuring out the right ways to mix and match and and maybe that just means keeping different starters in the floor at different times i know that's a hard thing to do and it's just guessing to say who the right ones are but that's i think important is when you look at those numbers if they have lots of starters out there they're doing pretty well mm-hmm. they have good bench guys who have utility as defenders as shooters like we've gone through figuring out the right lineups is important right that group that closed the detroit game That was awesome. Where did that come from? Right? So like finding those combinations, I think will be key for Carlisle Uh, going forward. Eddie, it's not all bad. Uh, It's not all bad. They are still nine and seven. They did still beat Philly and Cleveland twice and Milwaukee. And I will predict that by next week, I will add Miami into that list of teams. They have beaten mostly because it's hard to beat a team twice in one city. One more break here, guys. We got to talk about FanDuel, the NFL about a little over halfway done and things are rolling in the football world, the weather's getting colder, but the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel right now. New customers on FanDuel will get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. How about that? 150 smackeroos. But all you got to do is that $5 money line bet and win it. If your team wins, boom, 150 bucks. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time than right now to dive in on the action with the NFL rolling. Like I said, the NBA is underway, about a month in the season tournament coming up for the finals and the nhl of course the app on fanduel very easy to use they have a wide range of betting options such as spreads over unders player props and more your favorites they got them visit fanduel.com slash lockdown and kick off the nfl season on fanduel an official partner of the nfl not everything's going bad not everything is going bad what do you feel like is going well for the pacers even in this recent stretch where people aren't as psyched about how they've played
1: I would say the backup center, like that's where I would start first is like, yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is Tyrese, just how otherworldly he's been the last two weeks. but And it's kind of wild that he hasn't won a player of the week yet with how crazy he's been playing. (laughs) That's a a different conversation for a different day. Uh, But like the backup center, like last night Isaiah Jackson was good. He's been really solid and consistent lately, Mm -hmm. which is something that we haven't seen a lot of um, from him this season or in the past is – because usually when he gets on the floor, he's committing a lot of dumb fouls or he's in foul trouble all the time or uh whatever or it's a blowout and he's on the floor, you just don't see the consistency. And then uh with Jalen Smith, uh, where does the shooting come from? Like last year he couldn't hit the ball in front of a bar. And <laughs> he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. And now every time he rises up, it's like, all right, it's gonna hit the bottom of the net. Um, and whether that's from deep or whether that's mid-range or he's shown a lot too in the post, which has kind of been a little bit surprising to me. I know he talked about this off season, uh, putting on some muscles. So it's glad to see that's actually paying off a little bit um, in terms of being inside. And I thought, his, I think his defense has been solid. Um, I think he's been one of the more, more solid defenders. The Pacers can rely on night in and night out. Um, but to me, I think what's going well right now is the backup center position between those two.
0: That was a part of their bench being so good early is no matter which one of them it was, perfect. They'll both be great. Yeah. Was Jalen Smith now 14 of 20 from deep? I think, I mean, I don't. I should know that. Um, he's been on fire. He can't miss. And when, he, when they've needed Isaiah Jackson, whether that's to be a four or to be the five because of injuries or foul trouble, or whatever, he has been really solid. His foul rate's actually up this year, which maybe isn't super <laughs> exciting if you're the Pacers. But some of that's just because he's doing better at other stuff that he's good at. And he's had to foul to be in some of the positions he's in. Like Turner's foul rights up too, because he's putting yeah. up a bunch of messes. Isaiah Jackson's rebounding very well. He's making shots. He's running the floor. Like he's just making less dumb mistakes, right? None of those illegal screens he had all the time last year. None of those, like, why did you jump at that shot? Fouls. Like he, a lot of that stuff that was like low hanging fruit for him to get better are gone. And I think a lot of also the reason the Pacers can can win and maybe can lose, but can win any game they play. Tyrus on the team, right? Like, at his best, he's been a top 10 guy in the league this year. That hasn't been all the time, but either way, he's in that whatever range you want. I would probably say, like, 8 to 13 this season is, is, the num- is the number range I would use. And I would accept people saying higher than that. And, you know, when he can create his own shots efficiently every game and mm-hmm. make life easy for his teammates at any moment, and is such an identity setter, and the thing that has stood out and the thing that, like, Uh, Daniel Tice and TJ McConnell talked about other teams players saying last year, it makes it really hard to scout the Pacers and like have a plan when their offense is so random and the ball's flying around and it's all like natural to them. Mm -hmm. The other team can't read it. And the reason they can do that is because Tyrese Halberton is such a whiz with the ball and gets everybody moving and gets everything happening. So he, he is fantastic. Obviously his numbers are unbelievable, but he also makes everyone else better and I think that is so significant for this team and so it's the lazy answer but what's going well uh their star player is going very well so far
1: (laughs) something I'm curious to ask you this now Uh, do you think in order to improve the defense do you think Carlisle tries to dial it back a little bit in terms of the chaotic nature and run a little bit more half court sets just so that a, the, other, the opposing team can't just instantly inbound the ball and get up the floor or yeah. come off a miss and then get, get can't get back in transition?
0: Yeah, they've talked about how p- part of the reason it's challenging to defend is because of the way they play offense, right? And so mm-hmm. that relationship exists. It's also tiring to play fast, right, like for 48 minutes. So m- maybe – I would – they're they're playing okay in the half court. Like when they get slowed down this year, it's not like a death sentence like it was last year. Remember mm-hmm. that Heat game? Well, they play the Heat this week, so perfect time to bring this up. In Cambridge last December, what was the final score? Like 86-82 or something, right? Like mm-hmm. the Pacers could not win that type of game last year. And I think they would have a chance in it this year. It wouldn't be the prettiest thing, but they would look better. They've had games where the slowed down game was not a death sentence for them. So if they get a little better in the half court stuff, and I'll remember at the draft lottery – talking to Tyrese Halberd about the playoffs, right? He wants to be there. Well, what are you seeing that you, know, you need to apply to this Pacers team to be good if you get there? He said, we got to be better in the half court, right? When the game slows down, that's what these games are like. We'll have to be better there. So they know it, right? They have had games where it's looked okay in those settings. I think in Philly, it was the standout one to me, but Milwaukee, their half court offense was pretty solid. Cleveland, uh, the home game, the season tournament game. But if they can make data more consistent, then I think that would allow them to do what you just said of dialing it back a little bit. But also their defensive scheme is pretty aggressive, right? They try to defend pick and rolls with two guys and not use a third if they don't have to, which sounds conservative, but it's like it requires more rotation. It's two guys on the ball. They're trying to fight through screens as often as they can, right? Calling it aggressive is the wrong word. I think aggressive is is a poorly used NBA word, and I just used it like a hundred times. But – their their defensive scheme is not conservative right so that is also part of this is is maybe changing it a little bit but i don't know if they need to change their scheme i think it's just hard to play the way they want to play defensively given the way they play offensively
1: yeah yeah i would agree with that because i feel like they're running so fast offensively that it kind of puts their defense in a compromised position half the time to where they can't get back to get set uh and to get ready so the other team's just getting easy shots Near the basket or in the lane, because points in the paint is the real problem right now defensively. Is that even like last night um with on Monday night with Jeremy Grant, in the fourth quarter, like they just gave him ball on the left wing or the right wing at the elbow. He backed down whomever it was. It was Neesmith Smith or if it was uh Bruce Brown. Fadeaway jump shot right there at the free throw line every time, and they just couldn't stop. It.
0: They couldn't. They've always struggled with those big weight. Way- like last night was interesting because. I don't think Portland's actual points in the paint number was super high, but their points like one step out of the paint number had to be insanely high because Brogdon and Grant were hitting a bunch of those and they were getting open or at least a look they liked like every time. Mm -hmm. In theory, if you're like a numbers idiot like me, you're going to be like, heck yeah, they forced him into tough eight footers all night, but like Grant and Brogdon are okay with that and they made a bunch of them for a reason. So it's just hard and I think that as good as their offense is, yeah, figuring out that balance perfectly. And maybe it's just better defensive talent on the team at some point in the future. I'm not interested in talking about talent changes in November, but it is the answer because I'm of the opinion now that any player can at least be capable on offense playing next to Tyrese Halliburton. But yeah, the defense uh, has not been awesome, has been discussed ad nauseum, but it's a big part of their season, right? They, if they were 24th in defense right now, they're probably – 12 and four 11 and five i don't know that's not even right there's oh that is right there's 16 games i thought i just
1: messed that up oh by the way 14 and 21 on Jalen smith i don't know if i said that oh, was. i
0: was off by one yeah that's still crazy yeah wow do you know how many per game shots it takes to be on the league leaders like is he is he first in the nba in three point percentage right now it's, it's got to be two, it's got to be like two or three, right? I was gonna say it's probably higher than what he's taking, which is not even two a game. But the hell, yeah, it's changed dramatically from last year when Jalen Smith took threes. I was like, oh, that's not that's not what the Pacers wanted. To like, oh, hey, all right, they got an open three for Jalen Smith. Good for yeah. <laughs> What yeah. a flip. Um, so yeah, a lot going on with this team. I think they're I, like it's weird that the fan like they changed their expectations because they played so well. Having these good wins and having a good start made fans get to the point of like. This, these port, this Portland loss and Toronto last week, like fans are disappointed at at Mm -hmm. their current record, even though it's preseason about what people expected them to be at. And that's credit to them for playing that well. But it is interesting that, you know, I'm doing it too, talking about the stuff they're doing poorly instead of like, hey, they're nine and seven. That's kind of nice after an interesting stretch. So, this, the point I put on the YouTube graphic says, can they get out of this funk? They're not in a funk. Right, they're not playing. They like I said earlier, they haven't. They're on a losing streak. They haven't lost three in a row. They haven't lost like five of six or something. But it does feel like they're playing worse than they could be at their best or should be. What do you think it'll take for them to be playing the way that at least people are thinking they can on a nightly basis right now?
1: I think it's just playing like on a string defensively. Like all of them just got to be in unison because it just feels like sometimes Matherin's out there ball watching and he loses track of his guy and he gets back. Someone cuts on the back door behind him, and or there's times where they may ask for a double and he doesn't go double, or somebody else doesn't go double. It's just, it's just like the simple things. It seems to me like on ball pressure is fine, but as soon as they get inside the three-point line, it becomes very, very soft and it's much different. It's not as up in your face at all like it is when they're on the outside and understand they're trying to run people off the three-point line and trying to fund funnel players to miles to get to alter shots or make life hell and the pain for guys to try and get a shot over him. But right now it's just not working out. Um, but I think eventually they'll get it right. I think it's just a lot of adaption to like we've talked about already. You're trying to work in Bruce Brown to the offense a little bit. too you're trying to work with him defensively and all these guys, you've changed the lineup now after, you know, nearly a dozen games. Um, so they're all still trying to gel and trying to figure out the system. So I think it's just a matter of time before they get out of this quote unquote funk.
0: Yeah, that's the wrong that's the wrong word, but it's on the graphics, and so I have to say it like a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, for the for the rest of the season, I think the answer to that question is gonna be just defend better. Like it's yeah. You're you were a lot more specific with it, which is, is good. And the, yeah, they're trying to give up to some, to some extent. Like, what did Portland take last night? 23s? I have their game log in front of me. I should know this. Like, that's great. The Pacers are thrilled with that. Uh, 18. Detroit also took 18 threes, right? Orlando took 20. They're actually doing a good job forcing the shots they want. It's just <laughs> guys are making them because it's an open lane to the rim or the rotation's off or something. So they've got to be better on that end, and I think that's going to be a theme all year, and maybe it's ta- uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. The, maybe that's changing at some point, but Getting better on D, I think, will help. And then, like the stuff I said earlier, I mean, this is the the not the shooting is non-controllable to me. Like they're NBA players, they'll just miss some nights, but they can't have they can't have these big turnover games, right? Like mm-hmm. they're so offensively gifted that, that they're scoring you know 120 plus all but four times this season. If they reach 132, they have not lost the season. That's a high number. That's insane. Um, If they had just held on against Toronto and not you know had the worst last 3 minutes they've had all season. The magic number would be 126 where every time they hit 126 or more they win. And they can do that. They've done that more than half of their games this year. So I think that just controlling the turnovers is another thing. For me, I don't <laughs> if they shoot bad, they shoot bad, whatever. They did that against Portland, but if they turned it over, let's make up a number. 14 times instead of 20, that's six more shot attempts or six more possessions to so score four points. They score like for the Pacers, <laughs> they they uh-huh. win that game to me. So I mean that that's 14. Still a lot of turnovers for them. They've been under 14 and over half of their games. So I think that'd be another thing for me as you know keeping possession. The Chicago loss they had a bunch of turnovers. The Orlando loss they had a bunch of turnovers. The Toronto loss they hit 14. The Portland one they of course had their season high with 20. That's a big thing to me, uh, and I think if they can cut that number down, if they, at 13 or under, they are. I'm gonna do math. They are seven and two. 13 or fewer turnovers just keep they have such a good offense just keep the ball make sure they have the ball and they'll do better
1: yeah very nfl-esque don't turn the ball over Uh, (laughs) i am um, ready
0: to take tom allen's job (laughs) take care of the ball everybody i am not ready to take tom allen's job but
1: in terms of their defense i want to go back to something like you talked about portland not taking a lot i forget the number that you said they took last night
0: 18 that's crazy
1: which plays into how they want to play. I mean, they're second to last in terms of three point right. percentage, So they're going to be okay with not taking threes. So I think there's some times where defensively I wish they would lay off and let teams like Portland, Orlando, uh, Detroit, Toronto, who are not good three-point shooting teams, take those threes because there's a reason why they rank in the bottom and there's a reason why I think I feel like you can lay back a little bit, let them take those shots because more often than not, they're probably going to miss. And if that's the case, yeah. then it allows you to get out quickly in offense with Tyrese by just being able to push the ball up the floor.
0: So you you ready? You might We might have just cracked the code. You're on it with this. Five times this season, the Pacers have uh, only, air quotes, allowed their opponent to shoot 20 or fewer threes in a game. Mm-hmm. They're one and four in those games. So it's actually not gone well for results doing that. Those five games where their opponent has taken 20 or fewer threes, Charlotte, mm-hmm. a close home loss that we are talking about, Orlando, their worst game of the season, Portland, a, ho- a close home loss that we're talking about, and Chicago, a close home loss that we're talking about. So maybe that's kind of what these teams want: is to attack the room and not take threes. They beat Detroit, only giving up 18 threes, and hey, their offense was stellar that night. Now, also, the two times they've given up the most threes, uh, the first game in Philly and the Boston game, they also got beat by double digits. So there is a sweet spot. Like there is good evidence to like maybe containing the threes is the best thing. But you're, I think you're right. Teams that don't want to shoot anyway. Like somehow finding a way to coax them into taking threes could be a part of this because that is Mm -hmm. really interesting to me that their five fewest ones happen to be four of their games that fans go, hey,
1: that was awful. That was one of your worst losses. Mm -hmm. And you look at Charlotte, Toronto, Orlando, and Portland, like all those teams right there are bottom eight in three-point shooting. Look at us. Cracking codes here. I just gave you some something to write about or ask Rick Carlisle, so you're welcome.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually – yeah – So I actually think that because they have Miles Turner, like their strategy of trying to prevent threes is smart, like given their personnel. Mm -hmm. But at its at its core, like we just said, they're it like you don't want teams to take threes. It's like taking the right threes. I think the Celtics were trying a team that tried to limit threes for a long time under Stevens and Udoka, and even I think a little bit Missoula but they were trying to like prevent corner threes and they were like, okay with above the break threes, for example, I'd have to go back and read it. Someone wrote a really good article on it a couple of years ago. And so maybe it's the type of threes, maybe it's the player. And like, sometimes you might just lose because some random guy gets hot from deep mm-hmm. as IU basketball has seen all season. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just coping, but you know, maybe that is more, sad. but that's a lot harder. That requires a lot more game plan focus, which is hard in a regular season when you're playing a different team every night and all sorts of stuff that, in the playoffs is maybe a little more plausible. So mm-hmm. I think that you're, you're on to something there. And so we we are you're ready to see the Pacers next game where they let the Heat shoot exactly 25 threes and they only have 11 turnovers okay. and Isaiah Jackson plays great and Tyler Talbot is great. Maybe they win in Miami and then they're 10 and seven and we look really stupid in two days, Eddie. Maybe
1: that's all it is. You know, if they hold those figures that you just labeled out and they go undefeated the rest of the year, <laughs> <it's- laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if they – (laughs) yeah, that is definitely possible. We'll see. Uh, In Miami last year got, right around Christmas, one of their most fun wins of the season. That was Tyrese Halliburton's FU game right after Wally's comment. So looking forward to seeing how they do in those two games before they come back home. He had, what, 43 in that game, right? 43, the weird, like, what is Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero doing for one millisecond, right? They, They barely had a moment but they didn't communicate right, and he just drove the three right in their eyes. That was, yeah. that was quite the moment. And oh, yeah. that was what happened to the Pacers a lot against Portland. It's like those like small little double was just too late. They couldn't recover to the other guy. Um, I don't need to keep rambling
1: on the Portland game.
0: Eddie, do you like the in-season tournament, by the way? Tonight is is the end, so tomorrow we'll know who they play.
1: Um, I will have a better answer for you when the tournament is over. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to see – like. Okay. Does Boston try to go out tonight on Tuesday and run up the score to improve that? Oh, please do. Please. Like I know there are, are teams that have done that like Brooklyn, for example, they did that in their last in season tournament game. Uh, one of their coaches on the sideline, I can't remember who it was, was yelling at the players to shoot the ball. And it was in the final seconds of the fourth quarter against, I think Chicago or somebody. I can't remember who's in their group, but maybe have been Toronto. Um, But they were like, shoot the ball and like run up the score or whatever. And they're like in-season tournament game. So it's just very fascinating to see how these games are uh, played. And then, like, are these more beneficial for like Orlando? Are these more beneficial for Indiana? Teams that you know are trying to get to the postseason compared to like Boston, Cleveland, Miami, uh, New York. Because all these teams are in the playoffs regularly. So they could care less if they make it or not. It's just extra game extra games that they don't have to worry about, the extra added stress games they don't have to worry about, um, and they can just go out and play basketball every single night.
0: Yep. By the time you're listening to this, uh, we you will know who the Pacers play and when in their first-round game. I'm an in-season tournament fan, except for the courts, but only one more. One more of those. Have you seen a good court? I like Toronto's. There's is the black one with the gray in the middle. Uh, that might be that might be it.
1: <laughs> Phoenix had a good one. That looked like a natural. It was like a tan. Yeah, Cleveland like
0: did natural stand. as well. But Cleveland, Cleveland right now, uh, is having different court issues. I don't know if you saw Drew Smith like hurting his ACL because their courts elevated and he like landed weird coming. Oh, up I saw elevator. that. Yeah. So they don't, they don't get any benefit from me right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but I I yeah, they're the tan one. Uh, Phoenix is I liked. I, st- yes. I thought New York's was going to stink, their orange one, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. I only hate mm-hmm. the Reds. You can't see the ball, but whatever. It's not worth getting.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Washington court. Over. The Philly court looked like it should have been in Washington because like it was like the <laughs> Wizards' colors, but we're in. I'm like, they're in Philly, aren't they?
0: This is what people care about. But Tuesday night, which was last night for you listening, was the last group stage night, and then the quarterfinals, the last time you'll see the courts. I don't even actually know if they'll be there for the quarterfinals. Whatever. doesn't matter. We'll see if they return next year. Eddie, thank you so much for the time talking about the wobbly as it stands. Indiana Pacers. Where can people follow you and your not wobbly coverage of all of Indiana sports teams and your help with all the radio broadcasts for
1: said teams? So as on the YouTube graphic, you can see it's at Eddie Garrison underscore. But those of you that listen podcast platform, I am on X slash Twitter slash Twix at Eddie Garrison underscore. Twix, That's- I like that. Eddie, E D D I E Garrison, G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N with the underscore. And Tony, I'm just glad I made it through this podcast with your owl staring at me in the background. I feel like he's been like just gazing into my soul the entire time.
0: There's a second owl. Oh, it's on the other side. I just swiveled the wrong way in my chair. But he's lower, so you can't see. Oh, the camera fell. Oh That's no. Brutal. Nice four. From the there below my forehead. shoulder, you can see the top of his head. Oh, I can, yeah. The NBA made these. For those who aren't on YouTube, the NBA made these owls. On their website, they were selling one year for every team, and they were getting rid of them because no one was buying them. So I got, I bought both of those for a combined three dollars plus shipping. Is that a Pacers one right there? The one you see very easily is the Denver Nuggets. He is That's holding, what I That's he's what I holding, he's holding gold, and he's got a little axe in his other hand. And then the That's other sweet. one you see, funnily enough, I bought these like four years ago. It was last year's finals. That one's the Miami Heat. So he's got sunglasses uh-huh. on and the basketball's on fire. <laughs> nice. So. I, I I've seen, I think, an Orlando Magic one flowing around like eBay and Etsy. So I've thought about getting a third one because they're hilarious. But I've never seen any of the rest of the team since that sale day. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting stuff for the listeners who can't actually see anything here. Tomorrow, uh, Pacers play the Heat. And Kaitlin Cooper is going to join us. And we're going to talk about all 16 players through 16 games and by that i mean 15 players have played so rick carlisle will be our 16th player some early season analysis on everybody but we're going to limit ourselves to 150 seconds per player it's going to be a blast and then they play the heat twice looking forward to all that on lockdown Pancers to close out the week thank y'all for tuning in today we'll see you soon